The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody. Help! Not just anybody. Help! You know I need someone. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to episode 358 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. I'm a physician retired from practice. Our topic today is fear of intimacy and emotional closeness. Fear is a normal reaction to things and situations we perceive as dangerous. But fear in some people, who by nature seem very sensitive to fear, is mostly or more easily evoked than in other people who seem fearless, even to the point of unnecessarily putting themselves in danger. Highly variable is fear in people like that. And there's fear in some people evoked by psychological conditions called phobias. These are such as three examples, social phobia, which is fear of being embarrassed in public. Agoraphobia, that's A-G-O-R-A-P-H-O-B-I-A, fear of being in a situation from which escape would be difficult or embarrassing, or in a situation in which help would not be available if needed. Now, there's also a category of phobia called specific phobia. Examples are fear of animals, such as snakes, fear of medical things, such as needles, and fear of situations, such as heights. Phobias can bring on symptoms of excessive fear, such as sensation of terror, dread or panic, dizziness, rapid heartbeat and trembling, preoccupation with thoughts and not being able to change the focus of the thoughts from the feared situation and intense desire to flee the situation. And phobias and excessive fears may ruin lives may be associated with various mental illnesses, such as anxiety disorders and post-traumatic stress disorders. All of which is why our topic, fear of intimacy and emotional closeness, is so important for family caregivers and their family members. To discuss it, our guest is Dr. Jeanette Raymond. Jeanette is author of the book, Now You Want Me, Now You Don't. Jeanette's a psychologist and psychotherapist with a private practice in Los Angeles, California. Born in Calcutta, India, she was educated in Great Britain, getting her master's in education before beginning her career as a child and educational psychologist. After settling in America, she obtained her PhD in clinical psychology and switched her focus to helping adults establish more secure relationships. 
She contributes to training courses for psychotherapists and offers insight and relationship advice on a regular basis via her blogs and videos. So welcome to the show, Jeanette. Thank you so much. It's great to be with you. Excellent. Thank you very much. Now, first question for you. Please tell us more about your life, your career, and any experience you have with family caregiving. Jeanette? Well, um, my life has been uh, very varied. Like, you know, I've been, I lived in three different continents, obviously. And um, I'm working with people who have um, issues in their relationships. You know, it always intrigued me as a child because I saw people not say anything, hide things, keep secrets, and pretend. And I used to hate that. It was so hypocritical. So I think I became very attuned to children, and I started working with them in my early career and saw how natural they were. And the only time they clammed up and didn't say what they really thought was when they became afraid of telling their parents in case their parents disowned them, got angry with them, ignored them or whatever, you know, and parents say, I'm going to send you away and stuff like that. And I noticed how very um, difficult it was for these children to actually speak what they were feeling and thinking and wanting. And then they would end up having learning difficulties or psychosomatic disorders or various kinds of um, other issues like bedwetting and so on. And, of course, teenagers with acting out and, and things like that. So I think I wanted to help them. And then when I came to live in America after years of working with kids, realizing that I wasn't getting very far because it was the parents who needed the help, not the kids. And the parents that I tried to help in England were not really interested. They just, oh, my child has special needs, just take care of that or whatever, you know, fix the kid. So when I came here, I retrained after my mother died. I was her caregiver, by the way, uh, just before, for many months before she died. And um, it was very traumatic for me because the healthcare system was different, and I learned a lot from that. But um, when I retrained and decided to work with adults, I, I realized I had to help the adults be more comfortable with their emotions, learn to express it in ways that uh, other people could hear, understand, and that wasn't a threat to anybody, and develop a closeness which then was fulfilling enough so that they didn't have to have psychosomatic problems or psycho, you know, panic disorders or any, any other kind of mental uh, condition. Now, Jeanette, that takes me to my next question. Um, can I just say, we are always um, governed by time. So if I interrupt you <laughs> in the way that I've just done that, that's only because I'm watching a clock. I now, understand, yes. <laughs> I know you do. Now, Jeanette, please explain fear of intimacy and emotional closeness. What are they? Jeanette? Okay, I'm so, yes, I'm so glad you asked me that because it's not very intuitive. So the way I look at it is the fear of intimacy is really the fear of being fully seen without the armor, the costumes, the masks, and other uh, protective layers 
that we normally put on in the world at large. Even with our nearest and dearest, we think it's weak to let them see that we're longing to, for them to touch us or smile at us or enjoy a dinner with them or whatever. So we kind of develop this fear of showing ourselves. And over the years, we've become more um, covered up, if you like. And we think it's um, not okay to let those uh, masks and cloaks come off because what if somebody takes advantage of you? What if you get burned again? Uh, What if you get rejected? What if you want somebody more than they want you? That's not okay in the world that we live in. So it's what I like to think of as intimacy, emotional intimacy, is kind of emotional nakedness where you're in the here and now and you're expressing how you feel in that moment in time without any censorship, without sweetening it, you know, covering it up, trying to make it look a certain way without trying to create an impression and protect yourself at the same time. And that's really being comfortable in your skin, but also trusting that the other person will tolerate, accommodate, and accept you uh, for how you are. And that then the other person will reciprocate so that you can build a cloth of intimacy that's supportive and um, very fulfilling at the same time. Right. Now, that takes me to my next question, which is to ask you, please, to tell us about your book. Now you want me, now you don't. Please tell us about the book. Jeanette? Yes, I'll tell you what led me to write about it. Two things. One, I noticed that a lot of my patients were telling me that they were longing to be close with their partners and uh, they couldn't get through this impenetrable wall. They tried everything, the romance, the friendliness, you know, everything they could think of. And um, I noticed that when I spoke to them about it, they had very little understanding of the fear that their partner might be experiencing or that they might be experiencing. And the second thing was these very people who were complaining about not getting uh, enough closeness with their partners at home were desperately afraid of being close to me in my consulting office. So whenever I tried to get near them and support them and hold their hand through the journey that we were going through, they would rebuff me and throw me away and change roles and, you know, mess everything up. So I I thought, gosh, I really need to write a book about this. So in the book, I talk about a couple who come to see me for therapy, and mainly the guy, Rick, he wants to get close to his wife, and after four years, he's kind of given up trying, so he comes to therapy. But his wife, uh, Christy, walks out after the third session saying, it's your problem, not mine. And I persuade him to say by saying, look, I can help you understand what her fears are, and then I can tell you all the tricks of trying to get through those fears. So the book is their life history until they meet each other. And in between, I have 10 therapy sessions where I help Rick not only understand his own fears and what led him to want to get through this wall that his wife puts up because his mother did the same thing to him when he was a kid. And he was her caretaker, by the way, uh, and showing how Christy felt totally unloved and unwanted and used sex as a way of connecting, which she still does with him, and why she's so afraid of her husband getting close to her. 
And then uh, very gradually, when I give him these techniques, he uses them. And eventually he starts to mourn, which is the most important thing. All the losses of his childhood, loss of the father who left to, to be with another woman, loss of the relationship with his mother, loss of his hopes with his wife, and so on and so on. And then he lets me help him, uh, and he gets full with me being the supportive, available person in his life. And after that, he Christy comes in. And that's the end of the book, where they actually get ready to start couples therapy. Because so many couples are not ready to start couples therapy until at least one of them has an intimate connection with another adult. In this case, me, the therapist. That's extremely interesting and important because, first of all, you mentioned the process of mourning. That is the sense that there's a loss um, I've missed something. And then you're talking about there being two sides, two people. And then now you're talking about the need, first of all, to establish a connection. And I'm going to say you, the therapist, in such a way that the process can begin. And I guess the very obvious question I'm going to ask you is this. Um, Just a quick answer from you. Will you be writing a follow-up to this book to um, describe their path once they do get into therapy together? Will you be doing that? Well, I haven't uh, made any plans to do so, but a quickie. You know, my editor told me that the readers like your story when there's a lot of conflict and uh, hassle. So if the author is having a good time, the readers are not. And if the readers are having a good time, the author's struggling. So I guess if I told you how good their life was, the readers wouldn't read it. (laughs) That's a wonderful answer. Now, um, we're going to take the break. Um, This is where I always say to people, Jeanette, is this is where we have to pay the rent. So we'll do that now. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Dr. Jeanette Raymond. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and sharingtheburden.ca. Please stay with us. We'll be back. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. Looking for exciting video content live and on demand? Visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now. 
Tired of lackluster results with your marketing? Craving more leads in your business? Tune into the Mojo Marketing Edge with the team behind Mojo Global Marketing, Ira Rosen and Corey Michael Sanchez. Winners of the Marketer of the Year, they will show you how to generate daily leads, build databases of raving fans, and close deals faster than ever before. See what's hot right now and how you can tap into it to generate an endless supply of customers and clients. The Mojo Marketing Edge can be heard every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. Jeanette Raymond. Our topic is fear of intimacy and emotional closeness. Jeanette, now let's talk about the causes of the intimacy problems that you've identified in your work. And the first question is, please highlight the denials and avoidances that create intimacy problems. Jeanette? Okay, so glad you asked me about the denials and avoidances because most people don't want to look at this. You know, people don't want to think that they're doing anything that causes their unhappiness. And, of course, it's unconscious, so they're not doing it deliberately. But one of the things that people do is to deny their need to connect with somebody, to have emotional closeness because they think it's weak, um, it's making them feel needy, and they get disgusted with themselves. But of course, this is what uh, they learned growing up because when they have parents or caregivers who don't respond to them and help them understand their needs and process their emotions when they get upset or they're um, anxious or irritable, then they begin to think that their needs are disgusting and ugly and they shouldn't have them. So what they do as kids is they kind of sequester their need for other people. And I see this in my consulting room all the time. I don't need anyone. Um, I can take care of myself. And they develop this really strong armor. But um, they also deny the fact that they're feeling anything. So when they're having conversations with people or they're trying to uh, find partners in life or, you know, just have friends, they don't like when something gets stirred up in them that creates a feeling. And it really doesn't matter what that feeling is, good, bad, ugly, whatever. They don't want to be stirred up because that's very dangerous. And it triggers all sorts of memories that they feel they're going to be out of control of, that they're going to be taken down a negative spiral, and they'll never be able to recover. So they kind of nip it in the bud, and they stop anything from getting in that's going to create a feeling. You know, we we call these, some people call 
people like this cold and unfeeling. They're not. They're just trying to protect themselves. In fact, they have a lot of feelings. They just don't want to be in touch with them because they're terrified of losing control and then feeling needy. And, of course, if they lose control and feel needy, they then get terrified that nobody's going to be there to respond to them. They won't have any available adult to console them, to hold them, to support them. And they're terrified then that they're just going to crumble. So what they do instead is they try to um, have all these avoidance strategies. And one classic one is they try to do things for you, not with you. So they want to be the good person by, you know, doing the laundry or buying the groceries or remembering your birthday, whatever it might be. But that helps them because the actions and the deeds become a barrier to intimacy. They also do it by trying to be the good person, the unselfish person, the martyr, the perfect person. And that, again, creates a barrier because if you're a martyr or a perfect person, you're on a pedestal. And it's a long way down to the regular human beings. And there's such a distance, you can't have a relationship. But what a perfect way of avoiding intimacy. Right. Um, now, I'm going to stop you there because, first of all, you've made a very clear point about this avoidance and the denials and so on. And But I now want to walk, take you on to the next question, which concerns inequalities and fears that create intimacy problems. How do they work? Jeanette? Well, let's think about a typical adult couple, you know. One person might act as the person who takes care of all the problem solving in the home, and the other person will take care of all the finances. Or one person might act as the boss telling the other one what to do, and the other person feels like a slave, but they're happy to be that way because then having a boss means you kind of get cared for because the boss cares enough to boss you around, if you know what I mean. And this is a classic example because I just had a client the other day who's about to get married, and I was kind of inviting him to reflect on what that might be like. What does he imagine? And he said, well, my future wife will tell me to clean the house so then I don't have to motivate myself. So these are the roles that people play, and they're very unequal. So when you're playing roles, it's kind of going on a parallel tracks. There's no connecting point. It's like your roommates, and you do this and I do that, and we're comfortable, but there's never an experience of doing things together, what that feels like, what are the memories it triggers, what are the moments that you can create together so that you're having a kind of closeness which is special and unique to you. So I often find that the couples who come to see me after they've been uh, together a year or two and things are not looking so good is that they uh, begin to have the seesaw of one person playing the parent and the other one playing the child, one person playing uh, the martyr, the other the abuser. And it could be, it's usually emotional and verbal, not physical. And then the another one I usually find is they're playing rival sibling roles, but they're never equal partners in the relationship emotionally, psychologically, socially, and any other way. 
And so we get into game blame, uh, sorry, blame games, power struggles, uh, betrayal, because if you get out of playing your role, then you're not doing what you're supposed to do, and everything comes stumbling down. So stepping aside of those arranged roles really upsets the game plan. And it um, creates a, a shake-up and a fear that, oh, my God, if we don't have this very clear game plan that the structure is no longer the way we organized it, we actually might have to get intimate. And we can't tolerate that. Because what if you see things in me that are ugly or bad? What if you don't like what I feel? What if you don't like who I am when you look underneath all that? And worst of all, what if I don't like who you are? I've invested so much in this relationship. What if I decide I need to leave you? Mm. Those really are inequalities. Let me just ask you a quick clarification. Can the roles change? That is from the boss to the employee. In what you've just described, is it true that at times the boss can become the employee and the employee can can become the boss, or have I got that wrong? No, it's absolutely right. They change places with each other. So one person gets to ascend uh, to be the martyr, the boss, and the parent, and the other person then takes on the opposite role of slave to the abused yes. or the child, and they keep switching roles. So they do this to each other in, a, in an effort to... Um, regain power so that they don't have any self-empowerment. They give each other power and then they retake it. Very clear that. Now, next question. Please highlight the barriers in speaking and talking that create intimacy problems. Jeanette? This is um, a great um, question and this is a little bit more obvious than the things we've been saying so some of your listeners may be, may be able to recognize this so what i find is when you hear a person saying you did this and you did that and you 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 and they never say i that's a barrier because they're taking the spotlight off themselves so you can't connect with them you're on the defensive so there can't be any emotional connection there when people keep changing the subject from whatever you're talking about, again, they're trying to distract you from what you're saying. So I find it very often when I'm seeing a couple in my room, one person will start talking about a certain topic and the other one will completely change the topic and astound their partner who's trying to get you know, their feet back on the ground. And in the meantime, the other one has completely diverted that overture for intimacy. So another one is when somebody talks on and on and on at you and they don't stop, you know, they're kind of venting at you and they don't leave you any room to reflect or ask a question or share your experience. That's a surefire way of making sure that you can't connect because you're having to sit there mute and your feelings just have to disappear and you forget everything that you wanted to share and you're not there. You're being used as a kind of a, a bowl in which the other person's vomiting. But... When you vomit into them, obviously you're so full of their stuff that you can't then connect because you're weighed down with all the stuff that they just, uh, you know, evacuated into you. Another way is um, 
when you say, I know what you're going to say before the other person said it. I'm sure we've all been in this position of either doing it or being on the receiving end. It is so annoying because the person saying, look, I'm so scared that you're going to say something I can't handle. I think I already know what you're going to say. And then you don't say it. You get upset. Say, okay, if you already know, then why bother? So that stops them from saying anything that might create an intimate moment. Because if somebody is being intimate, they're sharing something very personal and private between the two of you that involves the two of you. But if somebody says, I already know what you're going to say, you cut it dead. Another way is um, when... Somebody finishes their sentence, your sentence, before you finish it. It's a way of saying we have only one mind. There is no separation between us. Therefore, there's only one person. Therefore, there can't be any intimacy. Because in order to have intimacy, you need two people. These are really major challenges, aren't they, in communications? I, yes. I know you perhaps would use a different word, but that fact of finishing off people's sentences for them or not giving them enough time to uh, break into what you're saying um, yeah. are conversation killers. Now, talking about that, it's time for us to take the break. So we'll take that now, but we are coming back. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Dr. Jeanette Raymond. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and sharingtheburden.ca. Please stay with us. We're coming back. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. In the spirit of Have Couch Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Looking for exciting video content live and on demand? Visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. 
Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. Jeanette Raymond. Our topic is fear of intimacy and emotional closeness. Jeanette, now let's talk about the methods that you advocate for overcoming these intimacy problems that you've identified in your work and that you were discussing in the last segment. So the first question then is, please explain the methods you advocate for overcoming the intimacy problems created by the denials and avoidances that you highlighted. Jeanette? Okay, well, if you remember when I told you what was going on during these times, it was about not wanting to feel anything and not wanting to um, be open about neediness. So as you can imagine, the um, solutions are based on that. So the first thing I suggest is when you your partner cuts you off or doesn't respond or hurts you in some way, share the impact on you in the moment, so many people go silent or withdraw or they start being passive aggressive and so on. But if you let yourself feel it in that moment instead of shutting off and then kind of stewing later, it's the most uh, important and it's a hugely effective way of getting your partner to know that they have an impact on you. And that creates intimacy because it means that they've touched you somewhere and you had a reaction. It doesn't matter whether it's a good one, a bad one, a fearful one, or an exciting one. But if you share it in the moment, that creates a pathway by which you can talk about how you felt when your partner said or did something. They get a bird's eye view into how your feeling when they do these things or say something, and then there becomes a kind of rhythmic flow of trying to adjust so that you don't always hurt each other and walk away and go through that same old cycle again. And it makes you feel more connected because you're actually kind of blowing away the cobwebs in the middle that keep you in those old traps. Another way is to focus on the personal qualities of your partner, not on their actions, because actions are barriers between people. So instead of saying, thank you for the flowers, or thank you for making me dinner, or taking care of the kids, or whatever, you know, talk to them about their personal qualities. You know, I thought you were really patient that time when I was trying to explain why I came home late. Or I saw how loving you were with the dogs the other day, even though they were smelly after coming in from the rain. So it's those personal qualities. You know, when you touch someone in that way, it's amazing because they feel the care. They feel the love. They feel that you want to connect with them as human beings, not their actions. So then they feel safer. They're more likely to let you in, and they're more likely to welcome you when you try to get in. And the last one is to register good moments and hold on to them. What I find is when people are ashamed of being needy or they are afraid of feeling things, they kind of uh, remember the past with a negative patina. And when I then go back and say, well, tell me about this moment and that moment, they can remember those good ones, but they don't hold on to them. So if you hold on to them, write them down, go over them in your mind, rehearse, 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 practice makes perfect, make yourself a chain of good memories, and hey, presto, you've got intimacy. 
Brilliant. Now, next one, next question. Please explain the methods you advocate for overcoming the intimacy problems created by the inequalities and the fears that you highlighted. Jeanette? Okay, so when we talked about the inequalities, we talked about the roles that people take and switching that prevent them from getting close. So the first thing you might like to do is to do things together and share the experience. What I find is that there's a division of labor amongst couples and even other members of the family. You do the cooking, I do the washing up. You do the laundry, I do the garden, those kind of things. And while you're dividing everything up, there's no togetherness. There's no physical togetherness. There's no emotional togetherness. And therefore, there's no intimacy. So if you actually do things together, like the washing up, like getting the kids ready for bed, like doing the garden together, whatever it might be, then you have an opportunity for sharing in your experience. So if you're out in the garden together and you get poked by a thorn when you're cutting your roses and your partner is busy digging and they have a backache, well, you've got a moment of intimacy because both of you are in pain. And you can share those experiences. It's our pain that connects us, not our joys, because joys separate us because we can never have the same joy. It's the pain. It's the pain that creates an affinity because we've all experienced pain and we always will. Second thing is when you're trying to share information with a loved one and you're really excited or you think you better get it all out or else they'll cut you off and there'll be no time left for you to finish what you're saying, remember something really, really important. I like to think of an emotional stomach. There's only so much that stomach can hold. And when you're dolloping in all your information, that other person's going to get full very quick if you don't give them a chance to chew and digest. You're not giving them a chance to let their normal emotional enzymes digest and nourish their food, and then they can ask for more. So they shut you off. They don't listen to you anymore. And then you feel rejected or um, devalued or unimportant. So... Give a little piece of information at a time, one unit, one teaspoonful, one tablespoonful if it's a, a more grown-up person. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you, you can then see what they're doing with it. Are they hearing you? Have they understood you? Is it too much? Are they in shock? Do they want more? Do they need time to absorb it? Are they curious? What are they doing with it? And then you can tailor the next spoonful full instead of just shoveling it down because you just want to, to get it out of you and into them because they're going to uh, shut it off. The valve will be shut and either they'll vomit it back at you or they won't take it in. And therefore, it won't have the desired effect and might have the opposite of the desired effect. Yes, and uh, it makes you feel that they don't care because they're not listening to you. So many times when I hear couples say, they don't, my partner doesn't listen to me, it's not that they're not listening. It's that they're giving them too much and they haven't had a chance to digest it. So they right. shut down. Jeanette? Please, this is the next question. Please explain the methods you advocate for overcoming the intimacy problems created by barriers in speaking and talking that you highlighted um, in the last segment. Jeanette? 
Okay, the first thing I suggest is, you know, before you give your partner any information or share something important with them, remember that they might be afraid of what you're going to say. They might think that, oh, my God, if there's, uh, if he or she wants to tell me something, it can only be bad. I have to gird up my loins to be able to hear it. So they, they've kind of half already tuned you out because the fear takes up all the room. So one of the things you can do is start to prime them about the subject area. So, for example, you might like to say, you know, I'd like to talk about the kids' bedtime routine, or I'd like to talk about our date night, or I'd like to talk about taking care of my mother when she goes to hospital next week, whatever it might be. So then they think, oh, oh, thank God, it's not about me. I haven't done anything wrong. And then they kind of open up. And then you have a chance to to um, express whatever it is that you're wanting to share and discuss and get close about. So that's number one. Because so many times I see people in my consulting room, literally their eyes glaze over and they turn around as soon as their partner says, well, I want to tell you something. And they think it's going to be so bad. The next thing is, you know, share your feelings as they come up in the here and now. Don't think, well, I'll wait until tomorrow because it's not a good time or um, I'm too angry or I'll wait until they're in a better mood or I'll, you know, I'll, I'll let them play a game first and then they might be more open to me or whatever. So you're kind of always looking for that good moment. But in the meantime, your feelings, the valence, the valence of it and the uh, significance of it have diminished. So by the time you have that moment comes, you don't want to do it anymore. It's gone. So share in the here and now, it gives a window on what you're going through in that moment. And the reason for that, doing that is if there are any misunderstandings, hurt feelings, um, uh, anything that doesn't feel good between the two of you, you can iron it out right there and then because it's happening there and then. It doesn't become mummified. It doesn't become that, um, you know, object in a glass case that can't be touched anymore because it happened so long ago. So it really enables an intimacy between the two of you that is alive, it's vital, it's being tweaked in the moment, and it's adapting to where the two of you are so that you can create some good moment out of it. And you were emphasizing earlier the importance of remembering the good moments and valuing yes. them, and polishing yes. them and bringing them out. So that yes. all fits together, doesn't it? Yes. And then the last one is to give feedback in the here and now, which is kind of related. So, you know, if your partner tells you something or, or you're feeling like you're being bossed or you're feeling like your partner's trying to be passive aggressive and be a martyr, you know, give feedback in the here and now because they don't know how you're experiencing it. They have no idea. So unless you give them feedback, they're going to keep doing it and you're going to keep getting caught up in this hamster wheel and nothing good will ever come of it because you're getting more and more trapped in this vicious cycle of distance and fear and irritation instead of closeness and support and a feeling of connection. Jeanette, that's very clear and very powerful.
Now, we're going to take the break, but um, we're coming back to the final segment in which we're going to talk about what more you would like to do and see done uh, to bring more help of the kind that you've just been talking about. So we'll take the break now. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley. My guest is Dr. Jeanette Raymond. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and SharingTheBurden.ca. Please stay with us. We're coming back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. There are over 140 million products manufactured worldwide. It is impossible to know the ingredients in these products, especially those made overseas. Stan Salat, creator of the HSF Mark and the Counterfeit Mark Alliance, is the host of People to People, working together for your safety. Stan believes in our right to know the type and amount of hazardous materials in consumer products and whether they are counterfeit. Find out how you can protect yourself every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. For 27 years, KidStar has empowered thousands of kids across the country. And now we have the opportunity to empower children around the world. KidStar is announcing a new radio show called Voyage Earth. Voyage Earth will empower kids from across the world. KidStar has created a Kickstarter campaign just for this new undertaking. By pledging to Kickstarter, you pledge for a future of empowered people to come. My name is Rinsley from Indy on Voice America Kids. I want to thank you for being a backer of our Kickstarter, Voyager. Kickstarter, we empower kids. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. Jeanette Raymond. Our topic is fear of intimacy and emotional closeness. Jeanette, now let's talk about what more you would like to do and to see done to help people in relationships overcome the fear of intimacy and emotional closeness. First question, what more would you like to do to help people in these relationships? Jeanette. Well, basically, I'd like to encourage a tolerance uh, within people that it's okay to to be needy of other people. It's not something to be ashamed of, embarrassed about, scared of, and so on. That really a need for people, we are hardwired for that as uh, social animals. And without other people, we wouldn't survive other than, you know, our, our skin and bones. 
So it's not bad. And what I'd like to help them do is to become more familiar with the idea of interdependency instead of one person being dependent on another, which causes so much shame. Um, And interdependency is really about a mutual dependency, not people doing things separately and never depending on each other, nor one person depending on one for everything and then the other on somebody else for something else, and not codependency either. Those are all uh, inefficient and unhealthy ways of dependency. But if we're interdependent, that means it's mutual. That means it's equal. That means we go with the flow and take care of one another as the situation arises. I'd also like to help people uh, be more familiar with the language of emotion and the awareness of it. You know, so many people I see in my consulting room have grown up in homes where they never spoke about feelings. They never talked about, you know, how they felt when something happened or uh, when something didn't happen, their fears, their doubts, their anxieties, their terrors, their shame, their disgust. They just kept it silent. So the children grew up thinking it was bad to talk about feelings, and they didn't even know they had any until something triggered them later in life and they suddenly felt like they were bad people because they were feeling all these things that nobody had ever told them about. So first, you know, the awareness of it, then to learn the language of it, and finally to feel comfortable expressing it. Not that you're weak or that you're just a leaky person, you can't hold it in, you can't control yourself, and that you're wrong and there's something abnormal about you because you can't, um, you know, uh, take care of your feelings yourself. Nobody can do that until you've learned that somebody can help you do it, and then you can take care of it yourself. That's the order in which it needs to be done. Got it. Now, what more would you like to see done and by home? to help people in these relationships. Jeanette? Well, I'd like to see parenting classes, parent support groups, and so on, make it okay for the um, people in the groups to teach their kids that it's okay to have feelings, not just when they're infants and they cry or they fall over and hurt their knee, that any feeling is okay that they can tell their parents, they can openly express it, and that they can be curious about their parents' feelings. You have no idea about how many people I see in my consulting room who have imagined the worst possible kind of scenarios about what their parents might have thought of them or uh, um, experienced them, and they usually think it's worse, you know, than it actually is. So they they live in fear that they're going to be disowned or that they're they're not loved, uh, they're not worthy people because they don't really know what their parents are feeling. They don't have any sense of how to express a feeling and be soothed and comforted and share. So if parenting classes, antenatal classes, parenting groups, whatever it might be, if they can make it okay for those parents to let their kids be okay with it, I think that would go um, in such a, it would make such a difference to the generations that come afterwards. Because 
if as a parent you grew up in a home where people didn't share feelings, you're not going to help your kids do it. And so it just keeps, you know, repeating this bad uh, scenario that causes trouble later on for adults in their romantic and other relationships. Right. Now, this is the final question, and it's a bit different, is... Jeanette, what's your message for people in relationships who are starting to ask themselves, either together or separately, if they are experiencing the fear of intimacy and emotional closeness? What's your message for them, Jeanette? Well, if they're starting to ask themselves about the fear of intimacy, they've already started to climb the ladder of hope. It's self-awareness that creates the opportunity for you to develop, mature, and fully experience your potential as a human being and as an intimate partner in whatever relationship is important to you. Then I would ask you, other than reading the book and going to therapy, is learn to trust your emotions. Now, some people can't do that because their emotions make them afraid of being out of control. You know, a lot of um, patients tell me that if they get in touch with their rage, they're going to feel murderous towards their parents who are mean to them or cruel to them or whatever. And so they don't want to get in touch with them. So what I suggest is take a walk down memory lane and see if you can remember certain incidences from your childhood and how bad it made you feel, how fearful it made you feel, whatever the, the feeling is, and start thinking about what those emotions are and let yourself be okay with them. Putting them into words, it's a well-known scientific fact, calms the amygdala, which is the fear center of the brain, and it, and it engages your uh, prefrontal cortex which has good judgment, and it allows you, by putting things into words, to transfer, that, transfer the fear into a, a, a language that helps you express it, but without acting in a way that you'd either be ashamed of or fearful of being destructive. And that's a really good way of starting to be aware of your feelings, just making them okay instead of feeling like you, you have to be ashamed of them or that you're so scared of what you might do if you allowed yourself to feel them that you have to kind of uh, shut yourself off from them. And then you have all sorts of psychosomatic illnesses. And the third thing is if you do have a lot of uh, psychological, uh, sorry, physical pain and aches that don't go away and they come and go like a lot of my patients do, it's really your emotions speaking to you. They're dying for you to let them out and put words to them so that your body doesn't have to get stressed and do it for you. Right. Um, I want to say, Jeanette, thank you, um, but I want to say it in a particular way. You were just saying giving stress to the importance of putting things into words. I want to thank you in this episode for putting into words, understandable words, some of the most complex questions that affect people in their relationships. And thank you for that. And if I could be uh, creating um, a, a kind of uh, commercial on your behalf, I'd say to everybody, please, please do read 
Jeanette's book, Now You Want Me, Now You Don't, as a way to getting to the place that you want to be in your relationships. Now, I also want to um, say thank you to our listeners. We'd like to hear your comments on this episode. And with Family Caregivers, we're starting um, a new research project called Qualitative Research. is to find out what you, our listeners, think about important topics, such as the one we've just been listening to. So please email mail me to hear any more or to get involved. Our next episode will be creating website memorials for loved ones. Please join us. Same time, same spot on the Internet. Talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.